and gentlemen, boys and girls, and everybody in between. He's your favorite Mexican-American Gemini from South Texas. It's Chibi. And she's the lipstick-loving Salvadorican from Brooklyn, New York. It's Rocky. And this is Words and Shit. The show where you get to know the person behind the poetry. Brought to you by Right Art Out. <laughs> oh, Rocky. <laughs> I know, friend. I know. <laughs> uh, that's, um, all, that's all I can do right now. <laughs> I, know, I know. And I feel so bad. I'm like trying to be there in supporting of like Texas right now because of the snow. I'm wearing like my son Unfo, like this retro Spurs colors. Why go Spurs go? Um, and I'm sending a lot of love to y'all right now. Um, I'm yeah, can you let's let's you know what every I feel like every Thursday there's like something that happened. And <laughs> <laughs> 2021, yo, it is yeah. nothing but interesting. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I'm taking this uh workshop with John Sands and he likes to do this uh every workshop we start off by saying a title of something that encapsulates mm-hmm. how we're feeling and my mm-hmm. title this week was just a series of unfortunate events because it just yeah. doesn't stop for anyone that doesn't know Texas where I'm at is experiencing uh catastrophe it, it it has been like well below freezing weather for for like five days now the entire like so many people were out of power and didn't have water uh and there's just so much that people are going through because texas is not equipped and people down here are not equipped for weather like this you know we don't have snow shovels we don't have snow tires uh we don't know what to do in this kind of weather so uh our hearts def- our hearts definitely go out to everyone that has been struggling this past week uh and we just hope that this that tonight we can try and bring some joy bring some love bring s- something to help lift the spirits of anybody that's watching but rocky i i i i think snow is fascinating i love <laughs> it when it snows in texas for like one day and then i'm over it yeah no i am Oh, um, it's, I'm completely over snow. Um, I thought it was cute. So if people don't know, I actually was born and, um, I spent a majority of my childhood in New Jersey and that was cute. Cause I was a kid, right? So you get to build, you get to have fun in, um, the snow. And then when I went to Texas, I completely like shed that, like I I'm a Texas girl. And then I came back to New Jersey and New York and I have a different relationship with snow because as an adult, I have to shovel. So today we actually are getting, we have a snowstorm. Uh, well, it's not a snowstorm. We, it snowed. It, we got like close to eight to 10 inches today. Um, but like you were saying, we have the equipment and I have years now, four years of experience underneath my belt to know how to shovel. No, like the, I have like the, the, the gloves, the, the jacket, um, the, the salt, right? Like I know what to do and y'all don't. And plus I have working heat and, you know, power. And it's, it is so devastating to see like my friends and family right now that were suffering. Um, I kind of went on a little rant because I feel like people, especially in the East coast, don't understand how serious this is. And they're joking about it. Um, and they're just on their like liberal bullshit, right? Like that's fucked up. A lot of these communities are communities of color, low income, you know, classes, vulnerable, um, disabled and elderly people. And 
And again, they are also part of this like oppressive system that taxes, like you got to talk about like gerrymandering, the red lines that are preventing them, suppressing their votes for them to like actually make any changes. But we, you know, I do want to give out like a shout out to all the grassroots who are doing the mutual aids and who've been organizing for Texas. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, just don't discount Texas, you know, like there, I stay strong friend, just stay strong. Yo, Rocky, but tell us how you really feel. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, go off, go off, talk your shit, you know, because you are so right. Like, we don't have winter coats here. So mm -hmm. when it gets this cold, all we can do is put on the 14, be uh, like, hoodies that we own because we don't have anything thicker than a hoodie, you know? Um, so if you're watching right now, uh, if you're you're lucky enough to have access to to internet or to, to cellular data, if you're watching right now, just let us know in the comments how you're doing, you know? Uh, hopefully, uh, if you're able to watch right now, that means you're in, you're in a good place. I know there's been a lot of news that's been released recently that uh, a lot of people's powers are coming back on. Uh, mm -hmm. in San Anto, we just saw that we now have a very low number of people uh, that don't have power. So it's getting better. Uh, and there's a lot of resources. I know you were posting on your Instagram. I was posting on my Instagram. If you need resources, access to warm places, food, water, things like that, check them out because it is out there. Um, so Texas, we're here for you. That being said, though, we do have a guest tonight who is no stranger to the cold. Mm -hmm. uh, growing up in Chicago, living in New York and New Jersey, like this Mexicano, he knows he knows cold weather. He knows what to do, and, and hopefully, I'm I'm banking on him to bring the heat tonight. So tonight we have Jose Olivares. He is the son of Mexican immigrants. His debut book of poems, Citizen Illegal. This one was a finalist for the Penn Gene Stein Award and a winner of the 2018 Chicago Review Books Poetry Prize. It was named a top book of 2018 by the Android Journal, NPR, and the New York Public Library. Along with Felicia Chavez and Willy Perdomo, he co-edited the poetry anthology, The Breakbeat Poets, Volume 4, Latinext. Mm -hmm. He is the co-host of the poetry podcast, The Poetry Gods. In 2018, he was awarded the first annual author and artist Artist in Justice Award from the Phillips Brooks House Association and named a debut poet of 2018 by Poets and Writers. In 2019, he was awarded a Ruth Lilly and Dorothy Sargent Rosenberg Poetry Fellowship from the Poetry Foundation. His work has been featured in the New York Times, the Paris Review, and so many other places. Y'all, show some love in the comments section right now and help me welcome Jose Guadalupe Olivares to Words and Shade. Hey. How you doing? What's going on, everybody? <laughs> doing all right. Like you said, I'm in New York right now, um, hanging in, thinking about Texas for sure. Um, but yeah, I'm hanging in. How are y'all? I mean, I'm okay. I got blankets over every window and door. I got towels on the floors. I've got space heaters going, and I've got tequila to keep me warm on the inside. So salute, my friend. Salud. I got, I'm drinking some white wine. It's uh, it's cheap and it goes down easy. So we're living <laughs> good over here. 
awesome. I'll just give some water. <laughs> <laughs> so good. So good. But we are so excited to have you on. Um, I read your book this past week. I'm so ready mm -hmm. to dive into it. I feel like I need to call my mother. Uh, it's. I'm so excited to just have you here with us today. Yeah. Thank you. I'm to talk to you. Great. I'm just, yeah, I've heard so many great things about you. I've like listened to some of your poems and read them too. They're just amazing. So let's go into it. I really want to, I always start this, our podcast with our, our um, guests about a temperature check, right? So you're coming in here, you're going to be our friend for the next hour or so. So as my, one of my friends, I want to know, how's your heart? This past week, this today, this month, this year, just how's your heart doing? It's a good question. Um, I, you know, the the short answer is like my heart is pretty good, all things considered. You know, I'm safe, and that's the most important thing. And my family is okay. Um, you know, the more complicated answer is, you know, every day it feels like I get a text from a friend who's struggling or who's you know, family is not doing well. And so it just feels like, uh, you know, carrying different levels of grief uh, and trying to make space for for joy. So just, you know, just feeling all the things, I think. Mm, that's carrying different levels of grief. I don't think I've ever heard anyone put it that way, where it's just like you, this acknowledgement that like not all grief is the same and some hits you hard, like, ooh, I just got chills. Yeah, I think that's perfect. I think, you know, we've, especially during this pandemic, we are all experiencing some type of grief or, you know, grief of our, what life needs to be normal, grief of just like our, sometimes our mental health and grief of for others. So that's like heavy, that's heavy friend. But, you know, I'm glad um, that you're here with us and I'm glad that you're safe and you're doing well. And like to be said, I'm, I'm excited to hear your words to bless us tonight. <laughs> It's like you're a poet or something and you know what to do with words <laughs> to explain emotions. Sometimes. You know, yesterday, um, yesterday I hosted a release party for Janelle Bineda, who's a poet out of Los Angeles. Um, her first chapbook just came out, Lineage of Rain. And, you know, you know, I think Chibi, you said that like every time you do this, something happens. And I, I've gotten a chance to host a few different live events and every single time I do one, even though I'm super excited to host and welcome everybody into the space, you're right. There's always something that, you know, I have to start at the top by acknowledging and, and making space for it because a lot of things are, are fucked up right now. Like, you know, I really loved and appreciated Rocky, you talking about the mutual aid efforts. Um, and those are important. And at the same time, it's like, it shouldn't be on us to fucking yeah. do all of this. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, what the hell do we have a government for if they're like, if they're, a, you know, they're not present during moments of crisis? Like, what the fuck are we paying taxes for if at the end of the day, they're not kicking in and helping us, but it's really on us to take care of each other, you know? So it's, it, it is like, you know, much love to all the mutual aid organizers. And at the same time, it's infuriating that it's on them to do that. You know what I'm saying? Because motherfuckers are like out in Cancun, Mexico. In Cancun. Spreading, spreading the virus. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what they're doing. What's up, Vincent? 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, we were all like, can we talk about Ted Cruz? Fuck the motherfucker. No, <laughs> and then, motherfucker. Hell yeah. And it's just like these consistent like ways of violence, right? Especially for like BIPOC um, and just like lower income, like um, vulnerable communities, marginalized communities as well. And it's just like, can we just stop? Can we, I mean, it's not going to stop, but like, can we please, like, have we not endured enough from 2020? Like, stop with the bullshit. Stop with the bullshit. Stop with the bullshit. We could spend this entire hour just, <laughs> just bashing Ted Cruz and Mitch McConnell and so many others. I know. <laughs> you got me so hype. I was like, you got me so hype. I was like, let me go at it. <laughs> Everybody watching at home, put your favorite disses of Ted Cruz in the comment section. Okay. Dude, we're gonna we're gonna start we're gonna, we're gonna group source a poem here from your disses of Ted Cruz. <laughs> all right, all right. Like like both. What Chibi was saying, yes, we can go on and on, but um, we're also here for you and for your words. So let's go into that. So we also have a segment. Um, it's like a speed dating segment, you know, uh, and we wanted to get to know you a little bit more. So we're going to start it off. Perfect. How Ready? You ready? Yeah. Okay. Feel free to answer these as concisely or as mm -hmm. in-depth as you feel like you need to answer them. Okay. okay. Got it. All right. How would your favorite person describe your poetry? Ooh, my favorite person would say my poetry is funny and deep and just powerful. I think those are the words she would use. I totally agree. Okay, all right. Uh, where do you feel most at home? I feel most at home when I'm cruising through Chicago, hopefully, like in a car with some of my best friends driving down Lakeshore Drive. You know, maybe it's like a sunset situation. Maybe we're listening to Chicago music um, on our way to like get into trouble somewhere in the city. Um, and that's that's like, you know, when I'm buried, like I hope like the homies will like drive my ashes up and down the lake shore and just have a good time. You know what I'm saying? Like that is when I feel like the most calm, when I feel like I make the most sense, when I feel the most rooted for sure. Okay. Wow. What an amazing answer. <laughs> um, because we're still on this topic of snow, it's fuck the bullshit. Um, yeah. What part of snow do you enjoy the least? I enjoy every part of snow the least. I gotta tell you, so I, like, like you said, I grew up in Chicago and uh, I used to I used to like take pride in winter. I used to be like, you know, the winter is good for you. It's like good for your bones. It makes you, it gives you like personality. It builds up resilience. You know what I'm saying? And, and what I've decided is that that's bullshit. You know what I mean? The snow sucks. <laughs> for like 10 seconds and then after that like i want i want the warm weather i want the sun i want you know what i mean i don't want to have to put on fucking eight hoodies and a jacket like i just want to be out in the sun sitting like kicking it you know so uh every part of the snow sucks it's awful it gets in your shoes it's just you can't wear sneakers you know what i mean like you can't be flying in the snow but then, i will say my one of my younger brothers, Ruben, he like hit me up and he was like, "Yo, Jose, I gotta, I gotta return. I got this like snowboarding jacket and it's like a little too big. I gotta return it." 
I didn't even know that that was what we were on for style. So I got to get my winter style up. Apparently, <laughs> jackets are kind of fly. Six yeah. layered hoodies does not a style make, apparently. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Yeah. As a fellow South Texan, I'm, I am, as of South Texan, I am with you. I, nothing is good about the snow. I threw a snowball yesterday and I was like, that was mildly gratifying. No, no. Yeah. You're like, that was yeah. cool, but what would be better? Like fucking drinking Coronas on the beach. You know what I mean? Like sitting yeah. at that beautiful river walk outdoors, enjoying the view, like fucking chilling and drinking. You know what I mean? That's way better than throwing a snowball. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I got, I had did three hours of just shoveling today by myself. I'm just, no, no, nothing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> it nicer. It doesn't do shit for your personality. It no. probably makes you angrier. You know what I mean? Like you're sitting there and you're like, why the fuck do I live in fucking the North? You know what I mean? Like this is not mm -hmm. natural. I'm so, convinced that's why like people think New Yorkers and Northerners are so rude. It's because they're so damn cold. And why we're so nice is because we're like, huh, it's warm. <laughs> yeah. It could be. I'm saying whenever I'm warm, I don't have an attitude. You know what I mean? I'm like, what? Are you gonna cut me in line? All right, I guess. <laughs> what am I in the rush for? You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. fucking nice. I'll just sit in the sunlight a little bit more. Thank you. You're doing me a favor. Yeah, yeah. All right, okay. Last question, and this is my favorite. What is your favorite dish? My favorite dish. Well, I got to tell you right now. I just had uh, some tacos de carnitas um, from one of the spots up here in New York called Amigo Banal, and the the tacos are fucking incredible. But my favorite dish is probably tacos de vidia with mm -hmm. the. That that's like you know start with that or maybe the quesadilla tacos and then uh, you know I I like Corona I, I feel like some synergy with Corona because Corona's like made in Mexico and bottled in Chicago so you know drinking a Corona that that's like Corona and Vidia those are those are like the two two components of my dish. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to be like, but where? Where did you get a good taco? Because like you're talking about a taco in like New York, and I swear I can never. Wait, hold on. Do they have? Do they have flour tortillas or corn tortillas? Corn, corn tortillas. You like the flour ones? I do I do like the flour ones? <laughs> it depends on what it is, though. You know. I'm telling you, we'll we'll talk after this, but I'm telling you, look up Amigo by Nai N A I in uh, Lower Manhattan fucking incredible carnitas. They, they like imported them from Los Angeles and they're like so fatty and greasy and they like pile the salsa on top. It's so good. Okay. Rocky skeptical. She lived in San Antonio long enough to know like, mm -mm. <laughs> Look, I, in Chicago we have excellent Mexican food. So I, I was one of those people when I first moved to New York, I, you know, I would like disappoint myself because I would get like a fucking taco. I'd be like, ooh, Mexican food. I'd get like a taco at a random ass place. And like I had the worst taco I've ever had in New York City, right? Where like me and my partner, we were walking through the city and I was like, I'm kind of hungry. There's a taco spot. I'm going to go. And she's like, you know, why? Why are you going to do this? <laughs> yes. No, you're why? Yes. 
and I went and they served me like some dry ass chicken breasts. I ordered chicken tacos because I was like, you can't mess these up. It's fucking mm-hmm. it's chicken tacos. They gave me a cold corn tortilla with like the driest chicken mm-hmm. breast. It was like they were trying to choke me. You know what I mean? Like it was just I needed water. It was awful. It was horrible. <laughs> so I've had bad tacos here, but I'm telling you, if you do your research, you can you can find good Mexican food here for sure. Okay, cool. Because I was about to say that's disrespectful, and I already know that they probably charge you like five dollars for that dry ass, like small ass taco. Come on, five dollars for a taco in New York. Come on, <laughs> if you get chips and salsa for five dollars, you got to <laughs> double dip. Sorry, my bad. Sin vergüenza desdichados, yes, No, none of that. Okay, we're going to talk more about this. We're going to talk more about Mexicans and Mexican Americans in the North for sure. Uh, but right now, we're going to hand the show over to you. Before we do, a note to all of our people watching out in Facebook Landia and YouTubeville. Use the comment section, y'all. We are watching the comment section. Yes, Vincent Cooper, he is in New York City. We are watching the comment section. So use the comment section. This is your way to show love. This is your way to interact. This is your way to ask your questions. You got a question that you want to ask Jose, put it in the comment section, and then we will ask it for you. You know, so use the comment section. That being said, we're going to bounce out of here. Please, Jose, bless us with some poetry. Cool. Thank you. Um, so once again, my name is Jose Guadalupe Olivares. I'm gonna read three poems, and also the homie Javier Zamora hit me up. Uh, so what's up, Javier? Um, you're right. Fuck the snow. Uh, all right, I'm gonna read. I'm gonna start by reading this poem. This poem is uh, from my book. It's called Mexican American Disambiguation After Idris Goodwin. My parents are Mexican who are not to be confused with Mexican-Americans or Chicanos. I am a Chicano from Chicago, which means I'm a Mexican-American with a fancy college degree and a few tattoos. My parents are Mexican, who are not to be confused with Mexicans still living in Mexico. Those Mexicans call themselves Mexicanos. White folks at parties call them pobrecitos. American colleges call them international students and diverse. My dad was mestizo in Mexico and my mom was white. And after they crossed the border, they became diverse and minorities and exotic and ethnic. But my parents call themselves Mexicanos, who again should not be confused for Mexicanos living in Mexico. Those Mexicanos might call my family gringos which is the word my family calls white folks and white folks call my parents interracial. Colleges say, put them on a brochure. My parents say, que significa esa palabra? I point out that all the men in my family marry lighter skinned women. That's a Chicano in me, which means it's a fancy college degrees in me, which is also diverse in me. Everything in me is diverse, even when I eat American foods like hamburgers, which to clarify, are American when a white person eats them and diverse when my family eats them. So much of America can be understood like this. My parents were undocumented when they came to this country. And by undocumented, I mean sin papeles. And by sin papeles, I mean royally fucked, which should not be confused with the American dream, though the two are cousins. 
Colleges are not looking for undocumented diversity. My dad became a citizen, which should not be confused with keys to the house. We were safe from deportation, which should not be confused with walking the plank, though they're cousins. I call that sociology, but that's just a Chicano in me who should not be confused with the diversity in me or the Mexicano in me who is constantly fighting with the upwardly mobile in me, who is good friends with the Mexican American in me, who the colleges love, but only on brochures, who the government calls non-white Hispanic or white Hispanic, who my parents call mijo even when I don't come home so much. Cool. So that's one poem. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> uh, the next poem that I'm gonna read is called, Mercedes says she prefers the word discoteca to the word club. Uh, and this is a poem that um, was inspired by my friend Mercedes who literally texted me randomly and was like, you know, I really like this poem. I really like the word, uh, I really like the word discoteca more than the word club. And so uh, it inspired me to write this poem. Mercedes says she prefers the word discoteca to the word club. Give me words that sing. Ojalá is three chickens laying brown eggs. Hope has its own music, but it's missing an accordion. My friends are up to their usual shenanigans, drinking good wine and being sad. My friends don't get into trouble. My friends are traviesos y malcriados en sinvergüenzas. Let me translate. DJ Cash Era is making the wall sweat. Slow jams crawl through the speakers and our hips move like someone spilled syrup over the night. Mercedes is right. I'm always down to go to the discoteca, a word that spins on the tongue like a disco ball. Keep your clubs. Cops carry clubs. And in this poem, there are no police. Someone spilled syrup over the night. It was us. The moon is a chicken singing, ojalá, ojalá, ojalá. Cool. That's that poem. Um, and then I'm going to end with this poem. This is another new-ish new poem. Uh, this poem is called Poem Where No One Is Deported. It's a poem that I wrote. Uh, you know, I'm sure that a lot of y'all remember the whole controversy around the book. Uh, well, we don't even need to shout out the name of the book. It was one of those fucking books that turns, um, you know, the violence is committed against migrant people and turns it into fucking, uh, you know, I don't know. It turns it into something to consume. Um, and so I wrote this poem. It's called Poem Where No One Is Deported because I wanted to, because I think it's bullshit that some people pretend like the only way to write stories about Latinx people or migrant people is to write stories in which we are traumatized, right? Um, so I'm gonna read that poem, but first I'm gonna take a drink of wine. I hope that wherever you are, you know, salud, and uh, I'm gonna read this poem momentarily. Okay. Poem where no one is deported. Now I like to imagine La Migra running into the sock factory where my mom and her friends worked. It was all women who worked there, women who braided each other's hair during breaks, women who wore rosaries and never had a hair out of place, 
women who were ready for cameras or for God, who ended all their sentences with, si Dios quiere, as in the day before the immigration raid, when the rumor of a raid was passed around like bread and the women made plans, si Dios quiere. So when the immigration officers arrived, they found boxes of socks and all the women absent, safe at home. Those officers thought no one was working. They were wrong. The women would say it was God working and it was God, but the God my mom taught us to fear was vengeful. He might've wet his thumb and wiped La Migra out of this world like a smudge on a mirror. This God was the God that woke me up at 7 a.m. every day for school to let me know there was food in the fridge for me and my brothers. I never asked my mom where the food came from, but she told me anyway, gracias a Dios, gracias a Dios de la comida, gracias a Dios de las mujeres, gracias a Dios del chisme, who heard all La Migra's plans and whispered them into the right ears to keep our family safe. Cool, and that's my last poem. <laughs> wow, you got the sound effect. Applause, applause, applause. Wow, that was, that was, thank you so much for blessing us with those words and everything. I really, really appreciate it. Um, I always love it when poets write like kind of blessings into their poems, like they're doing prayers with this cadence of it. So your last poem, you're like, you know, gracias a Dios, you know, to your mom, to the women. Um, I think that was absolutely beautiful. So thank you so much for sharing that. It was, it's great. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah. Um, I think we can start with like, you know, the whole idea of children of immigrants, you know, I'm a child of an immigrant to be, and so are you. Um, and I really love that whole thing about like the narrative and how people really commoditize like this narrative of trauma of the Latinx people of immigrant people. Um, and then you're you're humanizing it, right? You're humanizing it with your words. Um, I guess in in Chicago is so different, right? Because y'all are Mexican American in a different way from Texas, and then any part of that. Um, how how is like the uh, Mexican American like diaspora and the like, immigration community in Chicago where you were raised? How has that influenced you? How is that different from now that you've lived in New York and New Jersey? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, the thing for me is not just that it's, that those narratives are commercialized, but it's that those narratives are so lazy and boring and that, the, you know, like you don't need to, um, like if, if your poetry, if your art is not adding to the conversation already happening around migration that like, you know, pundits on CNN and Fox News or whatever, like that they're already talking about all day, every day, then like, what what is the point of writing it? You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like our art should add to the conversation and not simply re-inscribe the narrow kind of window that is already kind of showed about us, right? So I just think it's it's boring is is one of you know in addition to being insulting like it's also boring it's bad art um and then to answer your question about what it was like growing up in 
Chicago. So it was, you know, the communities are really tight knit. I mean, um, the history of migration from Mexico to Chicago goes back to the early 1900s. Um, and people moved from particular parts of Mexico along particular routes and then, um, you know, kind of settled into particular neighborhoods in Chicago. So you have like the back of the yards neighborhood, you have, you know, the neighborhood that's called Pilsen that was a little bit further north that, you know, then they moved south to Pilsen. Um, and then the, the community that I grew up in was the community in the southeast of Chicago, which was a steel working community um, in South Chicago. And so I was born in the southeast side of Chicago, spent a lot of time there, grew up in Calumet City, which is even further south and east. Um, and the community is really tight knit, like I said. So my parents are from a town called Cañadas de Obregón. And, you know, the people who are my, my parents' friends and neighbors, like they're people from that same town. So even though it's like a really small town in Mexico, like, like the whole community transplanted itself and, and came up to the same part of Chicago. Um, so for me, it meant that like one, like, you know, I, I, knew a, I knew a bunch of people everywhere. Like I, you know, every, and everybody knew me cause they're like, oh, that's Chuy's kid. You know what I mean? That's Pedro's kid. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was really just, it was really tight knit. Um, and also for a time, there was a time when like, I didn't really understand the difference between Mexico and the United States. Cause I just, you know, everywhere that I went, we talked Spanish and everyone was, was Mexican for a long time. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't really until I started to go to school that I was like, oh, you know, there's, there's more than just Mexican people here. And that I started to kind of figure out how to locate myself in into like the greater Chicago dynamic. But our neighborhoods, you know, Chicago has a reputation for being hella segregated. So growing up, you know, it really felt like its own little Mexican world. Um, where we were growing up. Like, you know what I mean? Like we had a whole social schedule and we just, it felt, it, it didn't feel that much different than like when I would go visit my grandparents in Cañada. So um, that's a little bit of what it was like. That's so interesting that, that you say that because I, I grew up in Laredo, which is on the Mexican American border. And it's so different because there was this air of, well, we're on the American side. We should be as American as possible, even though the city is 98% Mexican American, you know, like everybody there just assumes everyone speaks Spanish. It like, there's nobody else, but it tried to be, I mean, the city has the largest Washington birthday celebration in the country. It's ridiculous. Uh, So to hear that, like this, this small community in Chicago to you basically felt like you were in Mexico, you know, is so like, it's so interesting to to see how that happens. Do you think that it has something to do with the the distance between, for lack of a better term, the homeland? You know, like to where like is there a difference between Mexican Americans in the north versus Mexican Americans in the south? Because you have family in Texas and in California, so like, is there a difference? Yeah, that's a good question. Um. I'm sure that there are differences. It's hard to say though. I, you know, I think the distance probably does mean something because, you know, I think for one, 
that tension between like Mexicanos and Mexico Americanos was, you know, maybe a little less present. You know what I'm saying? Although I'm 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 like questioning myself as I talk. I wonder if that's true or not. Um, but you know, I I also you know don't want to say too much about Northern Mexicanos in general because I feel like Chicago is its own thing. Although you know. I, I've gotten a chance to travel. And so I visited like little, uh, you know, enclaves of Mexican communities in like Detroit and around the Midwest and Kansas City and in other places. Um, and sometimes, and it does kind of seem like there is, like I said, it, you know, people were not just, when people started migrating to the United States from Mexico, it wasn't just like, well, I'm gonna throw a dart at this map and wherever I land, that's where I go. It was like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, I have a cousin, I have a brother, I have family, I have a sister, someone already there who's gonna, you know, that's where I'm gonna go. And so that's yeah. how, kind of how you get these, these kind of like group migrations. Like migration is also not, in my experience, like a solitary act. It's, it's, a, it's a communal act. Um, and so, you know, I, I wonder though, I wonder exactly, exactly what those differences are um, but that's really interesting about Laredo. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. It. I think too. A lot of that might just be the fact that, like, the the Mexicanos that are here in Texas have kind of always been here. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that saying that like we didn't cross the border; the border crossed us. Right. Versus the Mexicanos that you know traveled up to the north came from deep Mexico, you know, and and traveled up whether they were migrant workers or whatever the case may be. That they are so far removed from their home, whereas those that are here have always been here. This has always been their home, you know. Yeah, yeah, and the same thing too because I know that definitely in Chicago, um, it's just you have a, such a large population of just not only Mexican and American, but as well as sorry, I have. <laughs> First appearance of the dogs. I love it. No, it's all good. The dogs got something to say. You know what I mean? They're like, you want our screen time. Why are you trying to hide us? <laughs> yeah. For those of who don't know, I have like um, puppy sitting poor dogs. So they get excited sometimes. Um, but yeah, like I just know that Chicago is not, has such a diverse community of not just only Mexican Americans, but also Puerto Ricans as well. Like a large population, which is, again, I don't understand. Like Puerto Ricans came from this very, vibrant hot place and then they're like New York and Chicago like <laughs> one of the most coldest like areas in the United States right um so that's always really interested me um the difference between those two different communities but yeah I guess um I guess when you're like now that you you've lived in New York um and now in New Jersey too you know have like those you're probably more exposed to different communities of Latinx, right? Not just only just um, Puerto Ricans, but probably like Salvadorians and Central Americans. Like how, how do you find community within those communities in, in the East Coast? Yeah, I mean, and, and so for sure, Central Americans, like I said, my homie Javier Zamora is here and Javier and I, like when we both found out we were in New York, we clicked up like immediately, you know what I mean? Uh, and and. It, you know, really who we hung out with was not just Central Americans and Mexicans, but also like definitely Puerto Ricans and definitely Dominicans. You know what I mean? Like before the pandemic, you could catch Javier and I at the hookah, at the hookah spot uptown with the Dominicans, 
you know, drinking cerveza and fucking smoking hookah all day. Um, and, you know, I don't, I don't know exactly, you know, I think part of it is, um, yeah, I don't know exactly how that happened. I, for me, it's just kind of like the way that I try to make community is, uh, you know, the folks that, that feel most like home, you know what I'm saying? And so there's something about, I mean, like, you know, the food for sure, but like the music and the dance and the warmth that just kind of drew me in. So, um, you know, maybe that's a part of it, but yeah, it's it's been really beautiful to get to travel and see different uh, different communities, you know, in New York and, and across the country. It's, it's it, it reinforces for me that, you know, this, understanding that like Latinidad is not one thing um, and that it's it's super diverse, right? And so it looks much different here on the East Coast than it does in Chicago and I'm sure in uh, in uh, in Texas. Wait, wow, we're bringing back the Orchata Wars. Whoa, whoa. Wait, give us some context wait, wait, wait. here. I think Orchata, because I'm, I'm half Salvadorian, so I, I will go for some horchata that is like South, like Savi's horchata is way better than Mexican um, horchata. So you know, this, this is, <laughs> I don't, I don't want, to, I don't want to say too much. I mean, I am drinking though, so I, I have to say, so Salvadoran horchata is delicious. Like I have nothing bad to say about Salvadoran horchata. It's fucking good as hell. Uh, Javier and I, we, you know, he took, I had never had it before like the pandemic actually. And we went to a pupusa spot in Queens and uh, the horchata is delicious. It's very good. I have to say, I'm wearing this hat. This is uh, the Hood Renovations hat out of California. Uh, shout out to my boy, Joseph Rios. But Joseph tried to tell me that the Salvadoran horchata was not good and he was wrong. It is very good. Um, I don't know if it's better than Mexican horchata. I, I love Mexican horchata, but for me, it's like, you know, why do we have to fight about these things? I mean, I know why, but uh, <laughs> the delicious is, what, is where I come down at. I think, it's also, I think it's also because like for Salvadorians, you know, there's this like, whole thing about like, if we're gonna talk about Latinidad, right? Cause we can critique it and how yeah. it just doesn't do us like justice for it. But especially because Mexican Americans, y'all are always the face of this like immigrate, immigrant like narrative, right? And- Whether we want to or not. Yeah, yes, it is, that's true. But at the same time, you know, this is like idea of like me uh, Mexican centric like narrative, right? And you know, I think Salvadorians, they're now like one of the largest coming up immigrate, you know, immigrant um, communities and they just always get overshadowed. So I, you know, so I want to rep hard for my, my Salvi. <laughs> As you said, you know, it, 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 it occurred to me when I was in college, because my best friend in college was Costa Rican. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, you know, of course I'm, you know, I'm Mexican. I had never thought much of it, but he was like, you know, thank God the me like Mexican food is fucking good because if it was bad, I'd be so sick that it's like the only fucking, you know, Latinx food, you know, that you get, that you can definitely get wherever you go. Um, but yeah, that's when I was like, oh shit, you're right. Like I, you know, there aren't like a plethora of Costa Rican spots of fucking, mm -hmm food in restaurants um, everywhere in the same way that like I've been to little rural 
alcoves in the cut here. You know what I'm saying? Whether mm -hmm. it's in New York or like downstate Illinois, and you can still get fucking carne asada wherever you go. Like it, it is. There is that those critiques of you know the 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 dominance and you know our voices are too loud. You know what I mean? Like those critiques are valid. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I knew that there were rice wars out there over which, you know, Lat Latinx um, community has the best rice. I didn't know there were horchata wars. Okay. So that's a new one to me. Uh, but Rocky, next time you're going to have to, next time you're in town, you're going to have to show me some real Salvadorian horchata because I don't think I've ever had any. So, uh, Let's dive into the the Latinidad a little bit. Um, your book, Citizen Ill Illegal. I almost said Citizen Illegal. Um, <laughs> your book, Citizen Ill Illegal, really, um, like you said, it it kind of encapsulates so many aspects of it in terms of there's there's joy, there's humor, there's there's also a lot of sorrow and pain. Um, I mentioned it earlier after reading it, I feel like a bad Mexican child and I need to call my mother more often. Um, but I really got this sense of like just the living in the in-between, right? The living in the hyphen, Mexican hyphen American and how how much pressure there is and how, like they said, you're never Mexican enough for the Mexicans, never American enough for the Americans. How has that experience kind of like shaped you and um, your work, you know, besides the obvious of like what it produced in this wonderful, wonderful book? Yeah, you know, I, I think for a time that was a big pressure that I felt, you know, and I remember like experiencing a particular heartbreak when I like went back to Mexico as a teenager. And I was like, you know, I, this, you know, like I said, like early in, in life, I, I didn't really feel much difference between Mexico and Chicago. Um, but late, you know, as I went to American schools, I started to understand this difference. And so when I was a teenager, I was like, the reason, you know, that I don't make sense in school here in Calumet City is because, you know, I don't belong in Calumet City. I should be in school in Mexico. And if I could do that, then I would make sense and everything would be cool. You know what I mean? Like mm. you know, anxiety would be gone. I'd be chilling. And then, <laughs> so my plan was like, I'm going to move to Mexico. Like I'm going to tell my parents, I'm going to visit my grandparents and I'm just never going to come back. I'm just going to like stay. And I, and I went and, you know, I remember, you know, being like, mi gente, what's going on? I'm, I'm home, I'm here. And people looking at me like, bro, you're not from here. When are you, when are you leaving? And also, what did you bring us? You know what I'm saying? Like, it was, it was not at all what I expected. So um, I think for a time I carried that heartbreak for, for a while, but, uh, and I think that shaped a lot of the poems, like you mentioned, right? That in-between space. I think what I've learned maybe since publishing the book, maybe in like all of these conversations is um, that that, that in-betweenness is, is not just a wound, but it's also a gift. And I think, you know, one of the, one of the ways that it was a gift is like that I was able to create community with Mexicanos for sure, but also with like black Americans that had similar similar kind of 
textures to their own hearts and heartbreaks in the, in their like migration from the south to the north. You know what I'm saying? Like, there were these echoes in our experiences that allowed us to make room to connect with one another. There were these echoes in like how we fit into Chicago that allowed us to connect. And so for me, it is, I think what I've learned since publishing the book is, is you know, not just the wound, but also the, the kind of celebrate the celebration and this like, um, this kind of like, yeah, the, the celebration and also this kind of like communal space that, that exists when you're not, you know, at the, at the center, right? Like mm. people kind of, people kind of, I think sometimes try to make the, mar you know, the word margins makes it sound like it's small, right? But the margins are large and we are powerful there. So for me, like that being there has actually helped me, has actually like given me a lot of gifts, I would say. Mm. I, I love that because if you think about it too, in terms of the context of what margins are, they might be on the outskirts, but they surround everything, you know? Mm -hmm. No, mm. and I do love that your, your poetry, especially for the first poem, right? Um, you're talking about these different narratives, um, cr specifically critiquing narrations of like passing of being light skinned, right? Because mm -hmm. um, I feel like we could definitely talk about this. Where it's if for people who are seeing this, we're all Micha B and you are both like light skinned, like you know, like the next people who um, move with with privilege. Um, but I definitely love that you critique it and you kind of talk about like even just like the men marrying lighter skinned women. Right. Um, and then you're just being really active about kind of breaking that down. And this this idea of um, I don't know, it was just so interesting to hear when you were talking about your parents being white passing or like being lighter skin. And then they're just called gringos. But then they're like, but we use gringos for white people, you know, and that's that jarring. Um, the jarring identity crisis, right? So I, I guess, yeah, I just wanted to say thank you for that. Sorry. It's it's this Yes, thank you for talking. Because I feel like that's such a, always a huge thing where um, people always in our family, like marry someone that's lighter. Don't want to get, be darker. Always get someone that's lighter, right? Mm -hmm. so. Is this idea that like who, your identity changes depending on where you're at, you know, mm -hmm. too? Where when you are, let's say in Chicago, you're you're the Mexicano there, but you're you go to Guadalajara and no, you're the American mm -hmm. all of a sudden, and how that changes, and you you definitely um, that talking about anxiety that can be anxiety producing, where like all of a sudden your own identity is put into question, and you're like, but I'm still me. Mm -hmm. It's a trip. It's a trip for me. The moment that where it kind of became clear for me was I studied in Brazil when I was in college. And you know, like I said, like I'm able to form relationships based on like, not necessarily shared identity, but like shared understanding of, you know, like, you know, oppression and where we kind of fit in relationship to it, right? And then I went to Brazil and, you know, I was trying to like talk to Brazilians and be like, oh, you know, my my people, my my parents are from Mexico, like we're Mexicanos, I'm Mexicano. And they'd be like, so what? Like, bro, everybody here is fucking Latino. You know what I'm saying? Like that's <laughs> like you like you are what you are. You're either like fucking, you know, are are you like 
are you are where do you fit into the society in Brazil? You know what I mean? And it was not where I was used to fitting in in Chicago. And so for me, um, that was a moment where I was like, oh, okay, like in America, we talk about identity like it's static, but it's actually always moving, you know, mm. depending on what room you're in and who's in there with you. So true. So true. Um, so you talk a lot about um, you, growing up in the South Side of Chicago and how it, it just felt like Mexico um, and coming up in that era. I'm curious about young Jose and when young Jose had this thought of like, hmm, poetry. Yeah, I think I could do that. You know, that could be a thing for me. Like, when did you have this moment of like poetry is what I'm going to do? And how was it coming up as, you know, a, a young Mexican-American in the south side of Chicago, you know, wanting to do poetry? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I, you know, I don't really have a great answer for that. Um, I, I, what happened was I was in high school and we had a poetry slam club at our high school. And it just so happened that our poetry slam club was like really good. One of the poets on the team, like a guy that was a senior when I was a junior, he was on deaf poetry at like 16 or 17, Perry Shelton. Like he was an incredible mesmerizing performer, but I had never heard of poetry slam. Like I, I, I thought poetry was some, you know, I didn't know that there was still poetry being made. All the poetry that we studied <laughs> was by people who had already died. You know what I'm saying? So, um, yeah, I like went to like a poetry slam show to get out of school. Right. It was like a choice. You could go to chemistry or you could go to poetry slam, like an assembly. And I was like, I go to the assembly and like hang out with my friends. And I just had no idea what I was in for. So when I saw it, when I saw my classmates read their poems, when I saw like how much energy they were bringing to it, when I saw that they were talking about, you know, race and identity and class and our school and just like things that we didn't talk about you know, with each other. When, when I saw that they had the power and the permission to talk about that, I was like, wow. Like all of a sudden it was like, I had all this, this well of stories and poems that I had been keeping to myself, but that, you know, no one had ever told me, asked me like, you know, what is the block that you're from? What does it feel like? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And suddenly it was like, I had permission to start writing those stories and poems. And so for me, that's when it started. And, you know, I didn't know that it could be a career until much later when, you know, it just kind of like friends started getting published. And so I was like, I, you know, I submitted and got rejected a bunch of times and eventually got published. So it, you know, it just sort of slowly started happening for me, but I never meant to like keep going. It was just like something would happen, like I would get a yes. And so I would take a couple more steps, right? And maybe I'd get a bunch of no's, but then I'd get a yes. And so I'd take another step. And so it, it just kind of happened that way. Um, and it was also just like, I love writing poems. I'm, I'm on a writing retreat right now with my friend Eloisa. And Eloisa's like, do you love writing poems? And I really, I really do. I enjoy it. I have so much fun, even though it can be hard. Like I love 
the way writing poetry is hard and I have so much fun trying to figure out how to say the thing that I'm trying to say that feels impossible to say. Mm. Um, so for me, I, I just, I found myself like, instead of doing math homework, I'd be trying to write poems and I would be trying to turn math problems into poems because like, I just wanted to turn everything into that. You know what I mean? So uh, it, that's how it started. And I just, I just kept going. That's amazing. I'm wondering like, if you could talk about like, what kind of topics, you know, that you found that were like super hard to write about, but were necessary and important. Like what are, what are some of those topics that you put in your poetry? Um, what's been hard kind of shifts. Um, so when I was first starting out, you know, not a lot of things were hard because I was so new to writing poetry. Uh, and so like willing, you know what I mean? Like I really wanted, I was just so excited to write poetry that I didn't think, like I didn't spend a lot of time being like, how is this, you know, I just I just went for it, right? Um, mm. And so I, especially then I would think about like, all right, I need to have like my feminist poem. I need to, you know what I mean? Like it, I was thinking about it as categories that way. Now, um, you know, it, I've started, I've been writing poems now for like 15 plus years. And so there are some things that are difficult and they're difficult. Like the thing that is hardest for me to write about is probably family. Um, even though like I'm always trying to write about family, but it's hard now because I'm much more aware of like, all right, like what, what does it mean that I, I'm the one writing these poems? What does it mean that I'm like putting words in my parents' mouths or in my brother's mouths? And you know, in what ways am I like being honest, like totally honest in the way things happen? And in what ways am I taking artistic license? And how can I, you know, kind of resist the kind of impulse to make the picture make me look good and every you know what I mean? Like. I'm vain, so I know like if I'm if we're, like taking a selfie and I look good in the photo, I'm like, listen, you might be like this, but like, <laughs> like, I'm posting the picture because like, I look because I, I look fly. I look great in that picture, you know what I mean? And so, how can I resist? <laughs> Eloisa's bringing me water. She's like, damn, Jose is drunk. <laughs> damn, that's crazy. You see how your friends do you? Uh, no, but you're so, so I, you're I, so right. You know, I was just listening to that in my poems. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I was just listening to an interview with Ada Limon, and she was talking about like, how can I write about a subject without necessarily taking over that subject? You know, let the subject be, right? Uh, So that's that's such a hard, hard line to just kind of like ride, where it's like, where where do where do you stop being the observer and start? being the person that's manipulating the story, you know, mm-hmm. so that it, to your point, it makes you, it makes you the, the, the hero in the story. And cause we don't, we aren't always the hero in the, our stories. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, and the thing is that there are no heroes, you know what I'm saying? Like the Whoa. impulse to make people, whether they're ourselves or others, heroes is, is 
an impulse that has been taught to us from elsewhere. But like the truth is there are no heroes in any story. You know what I mean? We started off the show talking about politics and the reason why mutual aid is important is because there's no government official gonna ride in and give us checks. You know what I'm saying? Like they're not going to do their job. And so it's it's just on us to kind of do that work and take care of each other. So there are no heroes. All of us are flawed, everyone, you know? And so that, like, how how do you write that is, is mm. that's tough. That just hit me. <laughs> there are no heroes. I'm really enjoying this uh, conversation with you. I just wanted to point that out. Like, I don't think you're too drunk. Like, this is great. It's great, great podcast. Um, I second the notion. Um, let's talk about it. Let's, let's dive into that. <laughs> what, is, what, what is he saying? This episode about to make the start of the revolution. You are ridiculous. Yes. Uh, that that comes from our friend Rooster. <laughs> yes, Rooster. All right, um, let's talk about that. We're all flawed, you know. Like you, you mentioned earlier, you know the the things that cause you anxiety, um, and like you've done a lot, right? You're you're a writer, you're an educator, you're an activist. Uh, you worked with young Chicago authors. You put on workshops all the time. You you put together this anthology. You you hosted a podcast. From what I've heard, you're also an amazing friend who likes to send postcards to people. Like we, you do a lot, right? But we also have this like inner saboteur, right? This little voice in our head that keeps telling us you're a fraud. You know, you don't know what you're doing. You're not doing enough. Like how do you combat those moments of, of self-doubt to like make sure that you're keeping a healthy dose of self-care to just get through it? That's a great question. I wonder if, for me, I think part of the way that I navigate that relationship is not thinking that I have to fight that impulse all the, all the time. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Like, I don't, I don't want to make everything in my life a battle. Like, I don't want self-care to be a battle against this saboteur that you put it. You know what I mean? So like, I hear that voice and instead of trying to battle it, you know, I try to say like, I I hear you, you know what I mean? Like I understand the ways in which sometimes you feel like you are a fraud. Um, and, you know, maybe that means that I need to read more, you know what I mean? I need to study and, and kind of build some strength in myself around those areas where, I, you know, like I don't have an MFA for example. And so that's one of the things that gives me anxiety in poetry world because, you know, I don't have the degrees that some of my peers have. And so I'm like, well, maybe that means that I don't have an understanding of poetry the way that some of my peers have. Um, and so, you know, but instead of like trying to think about like, I need to shut that voice up. It's like, all right, I need to listen to that voice. And then I need to, you know, just like make space in my practice to try and learn and feel better. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I don't want to think about it as always being a battle. Mm -hmm. Spoken like a Buddhist. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I appreciate that. It's like, it's like Catholic it's guilt. Oh. That's what I got. I don't have Buddhist in me. I just got Catholic guilt. Bro. That's all I have. <laughs> yeah, Buddhism is very much like we we neither push away suffering nor do we hold on to what makes us feel good. We just acknowledge that it exists. So that's that's my thoughts on that. 
Sorry, Rocky. <laughs> no, 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 it is. It's just like, oh, I feel like we're all traumatized by Catholic guilt. If <laughs> we try. Um, no, but I wanted to say, like, I love this idea about what you're, you know, talking about is imposter syndrome, right? This idea that you're never good enough. Like, regardless, look at your... Jimmy, it took almost like three minutes to read your bio because you just <laughs> just go ahead. It's like making like moves, money moves like that. Um, and it's just still so interesting to say that, you know, to hear you saying that you don't have this MFA and it's still a battle, but or not a battle that you don't want to frame it as a battle. Um, and I think I know that you write a lot about also mental health too. Like you're an activist, you write about it in your poetry, you, you advocate for it. Um, and so I just want to know like, for those, especially like in the Latinx community, right? Mental health, there's a, such a stigma that we we have to be strong all the time. Um, so, what would you say about that? Um, with you know, in regards to mental health? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I would I would say like one that therapy is like one of the most important ways that I've learned to take care of myself and uh, learn from my relationships. Um, growing up, you know, like you said, I, you know, I grew up and the, my understanding was like mental health, depression, anxiety, those are rich people problems. You know what I mean? Like we have to worry, like I grew up where like, if, if I didn't finish my food, my brothers would finish my food. You know what I mean? Like I had to finish my food because otherwise I wasn't going to eat. And so, uh, you know, I, I didn't have an understanding, you know, and we talked about like my mom had nervios, you know what I mean? And so I've heard that, but I was, I didn't make the connection between like, oh, you know, she's talking about anxiety. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just, I didn't, ha I, I thought that that was something that existed for people who like had caviar and shit, you know what I mean? Like I didn't know that it could happen. And the truth is that many, many people, like regardless of your class situation, and in fact, like, you know, now as someone who has bills and sometimes has overdue bills, like that shit is anxiety inducing, you know what I mean? Like part of why I need therapy is because it is hard to, navigate capitalism and all of the demands on my time and my money. You know what I'm saying? And so yeah. I, I think it's one, like it's okay to ask for help. We don't have to be strong all the time. And also like all of us need help. You know what I mean? Like I said, I don't, there's, I don't believe in like the American dream. I don't believe in exceptionalism. I believe in community. I believe in taking care of each other. And that means also like, listening to yourself and listening to what your body and your spirit and your heart needs and and making space to take care of yourself right and and asking for help when that's when that's the answer so i love therapy and i'm a big advocate for therapy and you know medicine if that's what you and your doctors kind of arrive on i just started taking uh what's what flu oxetine i just started taking flu oxetine um, which is like a Prozac type thing. And it's been really helpful. And I just am so grateful that I continue to learn to find language around mental health. And I encourage people to ask for that help for sure. Yeah, I think that's so important because there there is just such a such a huge stigma of like, to your point, it's like, 
in the Latino community or even in just like working class communities, it's like, you don't have time to be depressed. Okay. No. You need to get to work because if you don't go to work, we ain't got food. We ain't got electricity. So whatever this quote unquote depression that you have going on, get over it. And that's yeah. what we've been told for so long when like, you don't just get over a broken bone. You don't just get over, you know, uh, a, a cancer or whatever. Like, Mental health is just as serious as all these other physical health things that you you need professional help, you know, to just move through life sometimes. And that's okay. People don't fix their own broken bones, you yeah. know? And Absolutely. it's so important. I love that you're like, yeah, this idea that mental health issues is a white people issue, right? It's like white people shit. Like we we don't have time for that. That's like, do you have money for that? No. And, you know, men's, um, therapy can be expensive, but sometimes it's, it's needed. Right. I, I love my therapist, uh, or when I had a therapist too, and it's, it's just like really, really helped out so much. And I think I just also want to, um, reiterate, like if you have problems, sometimes your partner cannot be your therapist. Like you need someone, <laughs> right. I feel people are like, well, you have your best friends go vent. Like, no, <laughs> <laughs> that people. <laughs> train people that can give you the help you need. So I, I, Thank you. Thank you so much. Because I feel like not that many men, especially like Latino men, talk about mental health in that capacity. Um, and that's really grateful. So I'm really grateful for that. Thank you. Yeah. That. <laughs> um, we have a great question from the audience that I want to get to. Um, Christina asks, so how do you move past writing your poems without alienating your family? Cause I definitely have some poems that I'm like, shit, I don't know if I can publish this without getting a couple of phone calls. Mm -hmm. Um, so you write about your family a lot in this book. Um, how have you moved through that? One of the most important things that a mentor ever told me was um, I had a mentor, Tony Asante Lightfoot in Chicago, and I had just put together my first kind of like homemade DIY chapbook of poems for like my my slam shows, you know what I mean? Um, and so she, she bought a copy from me and she was like reading through the poems and she read a poem that I wrote for my mom. And I, I was trying to honor my mom, you know what I'm saying? Um, but the poem was like a poem about her cooking. You know what I'm saying? And she was like, she, she pulled me aside and she was like, you know, I just want you to know that like, your mom doesn't just exist to do labor for you. And that maybe in your poems, you should, you know, try and capture that. Uh, and immediately I was like, yes, like that is correct. You know, I when I read that poem, I had this, I, I knew something was off. You know what I mean? Like I think about like cooking where you're like, it needs something, like maybe some lime or some salt or something, right? <laughs> and uh and I was like, that that's what makes the poem fail, is that like I I have just I in this poem, I do not think about my mom outside of her relationship to me, right? And so when I'm writing poems about family, I try to think about them not just in relationship to me, but um, I try to like think about how they move through the world in general and how they, you know what I mean? And if I don't know the answers because, you know, my parents are 
also like filled with Catholic guilt. And so they're also like quiet <laughs> about a lot of things, right? And so if I don't know the answers and I try to make space to imagine the answers or maybe not even try and get answers, but just ask the questions, you know what I mean? And like, so that's how I try to approach it is making sure that I'm not always in those poems that I'm not centering myself, but that I'm trying to build this kind of, try to build like different textures into those poems. That was an amazing response. <laughs> <laughs> Rocky's just like, I love you. <laughs> no, it's just, oh my God. I mean, I can, you know, as a Latina, right? We, I can uh, critique these like machismo, like, you know, this mijo syndrome, like, Moms is all about mijos and they just give and give and give. And so the fact that you're saying that, you know, seeing your mom outside of labor of giving labor to you is just, I'm just making statements, Jose, because I'm just like, yes, I just need to comment on that stuff. So I just want to say thank you. Um, no, thank you. Thank you. All right. Chibi, do we have time for like one more question or? I have one more. Do you okay. have one more? Because we can do two. Yes, I, I can do too. <laughs> yeah. Okay, go, go. You go. You go first. Okay. Well, because again, I, I, you know, the show is really meant to like uplift a lot of our friends from Texas, and so Brewster had a special request, a mutual friend of ours, for us to talk about basketball. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm a big Spurs fan. Go Spurs, go. <laughs> um, she, she, I was like, she was <laughs> Basketball is a sport. Michael Jordan is a person. That's about as far as my knowledge goes. Perfect. Am I like, do I assume like your team is the Chicago Bulls? Of course. Absolutely. Scotty <laughs> Pippen is his man. I know that much. Scotty Pippen is Jose's man. Really? Is my favorite player. It's true. I So when I was, so I got into basketball because I was, in Chicago. So everybody was into basketball, you know? Uh, but I got to go to a game like in 94 or 95 or something. And we were in like the nosebleed. So we were way up, but somebody somehow they, they grabbed my dad and they were like, do you want to be a part of the halftime show? And so I got to like race tricycles in the halftime show. And so that meant that they brought us down to the court, mm. like, you know, with like two minutes left. So I'm sitting there right behind the basket and like Scottie Pippen goes crashing into the, into the stanchion, which is like the pole that holds up the basket. And I'm like right there. And I'm like, I was just like, wow. I had, I was, I, I, I will never forget that in my life. I was just like, this is incredible. Um, and then I came in last place in the tricycle race, which I also remember. <laughs> and it was cool because I, you know, I got to be down at the court where the players play. So that was cool. Before yeah. Rocky asked her question, I just want to say you just lit up like you have not lit up. <laughs> you know, like this just made you the happiest thing is recounting yeah. that memory. <laughs> I love talking about basketball. And for me, you know, for me, like a lot of why I love basketball is because of my dad. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. That was one of the times it was like Julio Cesar Chavez fights and then Chicago Bulls games. My dad would be just so happy and carefree for those moments, you know? Um, so for me, it's also like, that was like one of the ways that we learned to bond and build our relationship. Yeah. Do you have like a top, like, 
three favorite teams. Top three favorite teams? Yeah. I'm basically saying, are, is the Spurs like in that top three? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I, I have a lot of love for San Antonio. Yeah. Um, and Cody yeah, Pop. Yeah, I, I love... I, I have a lot of love for the Spurs. You know, I think about like uh, Lorianne Guerrero and uh, and uh, Shea Serrano, who I also really like, um, and they're huge Spurs fans. And and you know, I also really love Manu Ginobili. So Spurs are in the top three for me. It's like I love the Chicago Bulls. I love uh, the San Antonio Spurs, and then the third team that I would choose. Oh, of course, the Miami Heat. The Miami Heat. Really? Yeah, they have they have Jimmy Butler, who was on the Chicago Bulls for a long time, mm-hmm. um, and and I I mean you know I also just love Miami. So uh, shout out the Miami Heat for sure. Okay, cool. How do you feel that? I know I know that you were living in Harlem for a bit. So how did it feel to have like the Knicks as <laughs> in your city? It was fun. Um, <laughs> It was fun, uh, mostly because, yeah. you know, I yeah, mean, the I, Bulls have been bad for so long. You know what I mean? Like, the Bulls are also a miserable mm. organization to follow and support right now. But the Knicks were always worse, you know what I mean? So, it's like, you know, when, when you're going through it and somebody's going through it worse, you're like, well, shit, I mean, at least we're not the New York Knicks, you know what I'm saying? Uh, so that was fun. I will say that, like, last year, um, my homie Courtney, who's also from Chicago, we went to go see the Bulls play the Knicks in Madison Square Garden, and we mm-hmm. both dressed up in like, our Chicago Bulls gear, and the Bulls jumped out to, like, a 20-point lead, and all the New Yorkers are, like, hella quiet and angry, and we're, like, <laughs> sitting there, we're, like, ordering drinks, we're eating nachos, we're, like, yeah. Chicago in the building, we're it, you know what I mean. We're like having a good time, and then the lead starts shrinking, and we're like, "Oh shit!" Oh, we're like, "Fuck!" It. <laughs> and the Bulls ended up losing, and fucking all the New Yorkers were like, "Yeah, it was a, it was awful and still very enjoyable." <laughs> Look, all I know is that anytime the Spurs win in the playoffs, I get free coffee. That's what happens in San Antonio. Okay, oil change too. Don't forget, you get a free coffee mm. and. A- and an oil change. Have I been missing out on oil changes for the past three years? Wow. Wow. So let me ask you, uh, do you have, porque somos mexicanos and we, 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 we live off of our superstitions. Uh, do you have any like sports superstitions? Because like in our world, Rocky can't watch Spurs games because every oh, time no. she watches, we lose. I'm a jinx. I'm a jinx. Yeah. So she just has to light a candle and hear about it later because otherwise we lose. Do you have I, any sports superstitions <laughs> or um, performance superstitions, like things you yeah. got to do? Because you came up in slam too. So like, yeah, Perform- for performance, um, I like to listen to a tribe called Quest before performing, and specifically mm-hmm. um, the first verse for Fife Dog from Bugging Out. Microphone check one two. What is this? The five foot assassin with the roughneck business. Like I just I do that verse and just like that microphone check part, like helps me get my voice right. I also recently have taken to like listening to Bad Bunny before perform before performing <laughs> because 
I like love the way he like sings particular words. And so I'll try and listen and carry, like carry a little bit of that with me. Um, but you know, that, that for me is, is kind of about as far as I go with those superstitions with the bulls games. Like I said, we've been so bad. Like they lose when I watch and they lose when I don't watch. So, uh, I don't have a ton of bull superstitions because I'm just I'm I'm just happy when we win. Like we won yesterday, and so that made me happy. That and at least they're not the Knicks, right? And they're not the Knicks. <laughs> the Knicks uh-huh. are pretty good this year, though. So, uh, so you know. Maybe they're they're getting better, which will also be fun. But yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we shall see. We shall see. It's like how I feel anytime somebody tells me they're a Cowboys fan. I'm like, oh, how sad for you. Pobrecito. <laughs> Pobrecito, right? Well, Jose, I feel like we could just talk to you forever. We probably could. We really yeah. probably could. But like like I said at the beginning, we could just spend the entire hour bashing Ted Cruz and other uh, bullshit politicians. But um this has been a great hour of conversation. Um, we would be lucky and blessed if you could close us out with one more poem. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm gonna close out with this poem. This poem is called Mexican Heaven um, and it's in eight parts. This is how it goes. Mexican Heaven. One, all of the Mexicans sneak into heaven. St. Peter has their name on the list but none of the Mexicans have trusted a list since Ronald Reagan was president. Two, St. Peter is a Mexican named Pedro, but he's not a saint. Pedro waits at the gate with the shot of tequila to welcome all the Mexicans to heaven, but he gets drunk and forgets about the list. All the Mexicans walk into heaven, even our no good cousins who only go to church for baptisms and funerals. Three. It turns out God is one of those religious Mexicans who doesn't drink or smoke weed. So all the Mexicans in heaven party in the basement while God reads the Bible and thumbs a rosary. God threatens to kick all the Mexicans out of heaven. Si no paran con las pendejadas. So the Mexicans drink more discreetly. They smoke outside where God won't smell the weed. God pretends the Mexicans are reformed. Hallelujah. This cycle repeats once a month, amen. Four, Jesus has a tattoo of La Virgen de Guadalupe covering his back. It turns out he's your cousin Jesus from the block. It turns out he gets reincarnated every day and no one on earth cares all that much. Five, all the Mexican women refuse to cook or clean or raise the kids, or pay bills, or make the bed, or do anything except watch their novelas. So heaven is gross. The rats are fat as roosters, and the men die of starvation. Six, there are white people in heaven too. They build condos across the street and ask the Mexicans to speak English. I'm just kidding. There are no white people in heaven. Seven, tamales, tacos, tostadas, tortas, pozole, sopes, huaraches, menudo, horchata, jamaica, limonada, agua. Eight, St. Peter lets Mexicans into heaven, but only to work in the kitchens. A Mexican dishwasher polishes the crystal, smells the meals, and hears the music. 
they dream of another heaven, one they might be allowed in if only they work hard enough. Thank you, everybody. Applause, applause, applause. Wow. <laughs> wow. I love it. Those were actually some of my favorite parts of the book was the little snippets of Mexican heaven where it's like, it was almost like a little palate cleanser where I could just sit with this tiny little poem and just be like, hmm, yes, Mexican heaven. <laughs> that was the idea. That's why I split it up for the book because I, I wrote it as one the way that I read it, but uh, when I was trying to figure out where to place it in the book, I was like, you know, if I put it at the front, then, you know, you get it at the beginning and then it's over. Um, so I was like, let me split it up. And that way it can kind of, you keep coming back to Mexican heaven. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. I I absolutely. Just, I know. I'm just like, I just want to talk so much more. Cause it, just <laughs> reminds, it kind of even reminds me of like, um, are you familiar with like stupid America by, um, his first name is like his last name is Delgado or it's like a very old school Chicano like movement stupid America so he's just like stupid America you like you don't understand like this like this kid is with a po- is a poet and he you see his like pen as like a knife but it's not and he's just writing words it's just like just kind of like that so I think <laughs> from like that Chicano movement back in the 70s to now like modern day I feel like it's so important your experience as being Mexican American um so again thank you thank you for everything (laughs) and i forgot i did have one more question you mentioned you're on a writing retreat what are you working on now you know you you published this book a couple years ago what can we expect from jose olivares in the coming days years that's a good that that's that's a good question you know i'm also wondering the same thing what can we expect from jose olivares Mm. Mm. coming years um, you know, I'm working on a couple things. One is a collaborative book uh, with the homie out in Phoenix. He's a photographer, so it's going to be his photos, and then uh, I'm going to have poems interspersed with the photos. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, we have to turn that book in in August. So uh, I'm working on that primarily. Um, and then the other book that I'm working on is, is going to be my, you know, my second collection of poetry, tentatively titled Escargot. Um, and it's hopefully, you know, the thing that I've been thinking about is like one class and then two, um, this kind of, you know, I've, I've, we've kind of talked about it already, but this kind of personal, es- I think about like when we are, you know, when you have to like apply to college, right? Or whenever you have to apply to anything, they ask you for a personal statement. And oftentimes, you know, it's an unspoken rule that you want to kind of present a particular version of your story, right? Um, And so I've been thinking about like the way that some, the thing that draws me to escargot, right? Is that you're you're talking about like uh, a snail. You're talking about a bug that then gets reshaped into this luxury item and so i'm thinking about like how we make our stories into into butter for people to consume and how do we resist Mm. and so that's what i'm trying to do i'm trying to write poems that resist consumption 
in this follow up. And so I'm, I'm going to see if I can make it happen. You know, we'll see if I succeed. Mm. I don't know. I love it. I absolutely love it. Well, I know we had the information posted on the screen for people watching, but for anybody that's listening to the podcast at home, where can people find you? Where can people get your work or find out about things that you're doing? Yeah, people can find me nowhere because it's a bon <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I'm at the crib. If you find me, then that means it's a problem. Uh, but <laughs> online, you can find me on Twitter and on Instagram at underscore Jose Olivares. That's Olivares with a Z. My website is joseolivares.com. And uh, you can find all the info there. Um, yeah, that's where I'm at. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, for Jose. Uh, this has been a phenomenal hour of conversation. Uh, we had similar comments in the chat come through. Uh, in the chat. I've been doing a lot of Zoom. In the comments. Um, so thank you. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to join us. Enjoy your wine. Enjoy your writing retreat. Uh, and stay warm and safe out there. Thank you. Likewise. Thank you, Rocky. Thank you, Chibi. And uh, much love to everybody in Texas. Um you know, sending love and, and you know, also going to send some money down to, to hopefully help. Uh, and hopefully we see each other soon. Take care, everybody. Cuídense. Mm-hmm. <sighs> well, my heart is full. <laughs> I'm just going. I just got all dorky and, and nerdy, and I love it <laughs> so much. And I wish we can continue to talk, but... Um, that's yeah. one of the things I love about you, Rocky, is you are a true, like, poetry nerd. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I live for it. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, I majored in it, so, I mean, I have to do, I, I guess. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I just, wow, wow. Um, there's so many things that we can reflect on, but I know that we are a little over time. <laughs> what is time? It's a, it's a social construct. That's what yeah, it is. Texas is standing still right now. Ain't nobody moving in Texas. So what is time? No. I will say. So, okay. So we've been doing this thing like a word to reflect on the conversation. What is your word for today's conversation? It's not just one word. <laughs> it cannot be just one word for me. Um, I think it is, I want to say powerful. I want to say like unidad, I want to say, um, just like freeing and um, family oriented and just home and feeling like the warmth of home, like como like warm tortillas, like with butter. Does that make mm. sense? I don't mm-hmm. even know. Yes. Warm flour tortillas for you, yes. as we've learned. <laughs> flour tortillas for me. Yes. Mm. <laughs> I, for me, I would have to say it. it, it is validity. You know, whatever your story is, wherever you live, wherever you come from, there is validity in that story. And that's that's what I felt just kind of reassured, you know, today that people need to hear these stories, you know, and and you should be comfortable and powerful enough to to tell your stories. So uh, that's that's what I got from us. So, uh yeah, I'm, I'm probably going to re-listen to this episode of the podcast a couple of times. Uh, but let's go ahead and say some thank yous and get on out of here. Thank you to our audience who watched uh, our show tonight, uh, wherever you are. I hope you're staying warm and fantastic. Thank you, of course, to our production assistant, Dominique, and uh, the and to Chris Condé, who produced our um, theme music for the show. 
Yeah. And you can always follow us on Twitter and IG or any social media with the handle over here. You see um, on our thing is at words and shh, right? Please, please, please just follow us. Uh, we just hit our 250 um, follower mark. So yay, we're, we're out there. We're small but mighty and we're still growing, y'all. Um, so please, you know, tell people to follow us and we're still here. And if you ever want to catch up on past episodes, if you miss an episode or anything like that, we are available on our podcast and on YouTube. Whether you want to watch or listen, please like and subscribe. Like, subscribe, leave a review, rate and review us. It really helps us get the word out there because I feel like, I don't know about you, Rocky, but I feel like we're having some amazing conversation with some dope-ass poets and more people need to listen to this shit. So yes. like and subscribe, rate and review wherever you get your podcast and your YouTubes. Yeah, and thank you again so much to the audience because without y'all, we wouldn't be doing this. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And then for that, please come back next week, same time, same place, um, East Coast, West Coast, whatever, mid <laughs> Central time, um, for our next feature, which is the, the Rudy Francisco, right? On February, no, it's a big deal. Um, February 25th. So if you know, you know. You know if you know, you know. And you if know. you don't, you need to be here next week so that now you know. He just dropped a new book. So we I'm sure we're going to be diving into that. So that's next week. Until then, um, y'all stay safe out there. Stay safe. Stay strong, Texas. 